Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today is part one of a two-part episode on the reality of teen party culture, what you need to know, what you can do to help reduce risk for your kids, and how you can have the kinds of conversations over time that will give them the information that they need to make the best choices they can. Joining me today is Dr. Dolly Clock. She's a board-certified family physician who really has her finger on the pulse of what's going on with adolescents. In fact, Dr. Clock was so helpful and candid answering the questions that you sent into my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast and really focused on practical content, not just kind of dream pie in the sky content about what it's like to have adolescents who are socializing, partying, being around substances, kind of what to do. We're not only talking about the more common substances that they're likely to encounter. We're also talking about things like whether or not to follow them on apps and how to figure out a proper curfew. And also in the next Part of this series, we're talking about pharmaceuticals, counterfeit pharmaceuticals, fentanyl, risk that is unpleasant to talk about, really disturbing, but important in the context of giving your kids the best information that you can and supporting them during this very exciting time. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a review. It's so, so helpful to me. And of course, if you want more written content, subscribe to my bulletin, draliza.bulletin.com. As always, DM me with any questions at Raising Good Humans Podcast on Instagram. And let's start this conversation. Let's start with the substances they are most likely to encounter. All right. So, so alcohol, right, is, is actually the one they're most. So just to give you some statistics, like from Monitoring the Future, which is one of those big surveys from 2021, they asked teens about their use in the last year. So it was 17% of eighth graders, 28% of 10th graders, and 46.5% of 12th graders. So I like to share this because this comes back to people think all teenagers yep. are drinking alcohol, but even by senior year, less than half, not very close to half, but about half are, but that means about half aren't using, you know, this is use over the last year, not the last 30 days, the last year, but they are. So what I'm hearing from teens in terms of 
what kind of alcohol they're using, right? The hard seltzers that you're seeing at the grocery store all over. Every time I go, there's like a new brand, right? So that's sort of what they're very commonly using. But it ends up being like whatever alcohol they can get their hands on. And sometimes parents are supplying the alcohol for the, for the kids. Sometimes they're swiping it, right? And some have fake IDs and they're getting it that way or they're getting it from their older siblings. And so, so whatever way they get it, they get it. And then how they're using it, you know, really varies from from teen to teen, right? So some are really into the party scene and playing drinking games. And, you know, this is all stuff that existed back in the day when we were there too. The beer pong is now like the white claw pong or sometimes vodka pong. And so that sounds um, like vodka pong sounds hard. Not not a great idea, right? (laughs) And so, but but that's part of this conversation, right? Like, and this is where I think it's so tricky for parents because like when you start you want to say you know don't use it all and I think there are good reasons to send out that message of course but we also have to like couch that with other conversations as well in terms of like if you find yourself in a situation where you have been drinking right you're you know don't ever drive don't get in the car with someone who's driven right now we have all these ride share services or if you find yourself in an unsafe situation are you really uncomfortable like what's the escape plan like you know sending that message to kids that we want them to be able to feel like they can come to us or call us or text us so that we can come help out, come rescue them if, if we need to in those in those moments where they're feeling unsafe. I think that's where it gets tricky because it's those mixed messages. I know it's hard because it, it is it it is important to acknowledge it might feel like a mixed message that on balance, like don't do this. And also it's more important to me that you're safe and that you reach out to me and we will figure out what to do. And I should be an escape hatch. And also, will you never get in trouble? Like you'll never get in more trouble by being honest. Like we just have to be able to say that, but it's still a mixed message. Like it's still, it is. I do think that this is an area where you can send those mixed messages. It's sort of like sex, right? Like you might have reasons for your kid that you don't, feel like they're emotionally ready or physically ready to have sex, but you also want them if they are going to, to practice the safest sex that they can. Right. And so that's another area where you might be sending those somewhat mixed messages. But at the end of the day, your message is about their health and their safety. And that's of paramount importance to you as a, as their parent. And I think kids, kids get that. So a couple of parents asked questions that I'm going to pull together when it comes to alcohol. Yeah. One of them is, and I, I think you probably see this all the time. The the parents who are kind of like, I want my kids to be safe. So I'd rather them drink at my house with their friends and mm-hmm. I'll provide the alcohol versus. Right. So one question was how to allow your kids to be the host without providing mm-hmm. the alcohol or do you provide mm-hmm. the alcohol, but give limits and I'm not going to get into what I think of it. But then there was also a question about teaching your child how to drink responsibly or how to fake Mm -hmm. drink responsibly. Mm -hmm. And if they're going, you know, and the difference between what happens if you're doing shots of vodka versus sips of beer or White Claw. And I think we should get into those details. All right, let's get into that. Okay, so your first question is really, to me, that it comes down partially to a legal question, which of course I'm not an attorney, but that is an important point to make is that if you are hosting the party as an adult and you are providing alcohol for people who are underage, 
you are taking on legal liability there, particularly if anything happens to them. And so certainly once they're of drink of driving age and they may be driving away from your party and potentially getting an accident. So that is like something to seriously um, be considering. Um, I think the easier one for me as a physician to answer is, you know, about like how, how to talk about if you are, again, this is risk reduction, right? Like, I don't want you to drink. I don't think you should drink because you're at higher risk of A, B, and C. But if you were to, number one, like drink on, you have to eat something <laughs> before you drink, <laughs> yeah. right? This is key. And this is a big deal, especially when we're talking about teenage girls, many yeah. of whom are, are, you know, not eating I see a lot of dis- French fries. Yeah, disordered eating or, you know, they're really watching what they're eating or they're not why are they're saving their calories for the alcohol. This is, this is not a good idea. Right. So, so, and so they need to understand why, right? So when you, you know, drink alcohol on an empty stomach, it gets very rapidly absorbed and it gets rapidly delivered to your brain. And so you're going to feel those effects more quickly and the alcohol is going to accumulate in your brain more quickly. And so that's just regular drinking, you know, on an empty stomach. Now, now if you're playing the drinking game, right. And, and you're, or you're, you know, doing, you know, three shots cause you're pre-gaming before you go somewhere right in a row, right. This is, they need to understand that they also need to understand about drink equivalents, right. That like, 12 ounces of, you know, beer or a white claw is not the same as 12 ounces of wine or 12 ounces of, of hard alcohol, right? So there, there are drink equivalency charts you can show them so they can kind of understand that. I think they just, we, we feel like that's obvious, but it's not, it's not, it's not obvious. always obvious. Absolutely. They don't know, right? They're new to this. So those are really important conversations. Also, when we're talking about alcohol, talking about mixing substances, So because alcohol at higher doses, you know, where it gets really dangerous and into that alcohol poisoning level, right? Like at the highest doses, alcohol will suppress your respiratory drive. It'll make you stop breathing. That's why people can die of it, right? Or you lose consciousness and you're vomiting and you've lost your protective reflexes, like your gag reflex that would prevent you from choking on your own vomit, right? Like they need to know that they can get into trouble areas so that hopefully they hold back, but also to look out for their friends and keeping their friends safe. So, but if you're combining the alcohol with another sedative, right? So like a Valium or a Xanax or any kind of opiate, right? Those substances also, also can suppress that respiratory drive. And so when it's accumulate, you know, it's a cumulative effect. And so you would get there faster. So they need to know that. And on the other flip side of that is combining alcohol with stimulants, right? Like the Red Bull chaser, or sometimes I hear from teens that they're drinking caffeine, like they think it'll sober them up, right? Nothing sobers you up other than time. And yes, right. But, but alcohol has this like, you know, natural protective effect, because if you're just sort of drinking through the night, eventually as it accumulates, you get, you get sleepy. And so if you fall asleep, you stop drinking, right? But now if you have stimulants on board and it's not just caffeine, this could also be people who are recreationally using, you know, Adderall, other stimulants that, right. And so, so that will blunt that natural sedative effect of the alcohol. And so you don't, you don't feel like you're, you're, you don't feel that sleepiness. And so you're not shutting down as quickly as you would if you were just drinking the alcohol. 
So there's a lot of like, you know, other conversations to have, have around this topic. And now a word from my sponsor. Whether you're spending long sunny days by the pool or exploring new places on vacation, there is a universal urge to make the most out of summer. The Faraday family lives for this time of year and their brand captures that feeling of summer and adventure in their collection of high quality clothing that's incredibly soft and comfortable, always sustainably minded and meant to be worn from surf to city. Faraday is a family run brand making high quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. And they have mastered the art of the perfect summer outfit. You know, the effortless, it still looks good. It's super comfortable, but it's just kind of in that thin fabric that's high quality, but just you don't boil and it's designed with intention. Maybe it looks a little bit vintage, but it fits so well. It feels like it was made yesterday and just for you. So in that vein, I have great, you know, those kind of, they're like hippie blouses. (laughs) They're super cool. And they're made of voile. And they also have caftans and really cool stuff just for summer in this excruciating heat. Their clothes are thoughtfully crafted. And Faraday is so committed to sustainability, they even have a lifetime guarantee on quality. They will replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. Right now, Faraday is giving all Raising Good Humans listeners 20% off, 20% off. So just head to F-A-H-E-R-T-Y brand.com slash humans 20 for 20% off veritybrand.com slash humans 20. Ideally, these conversations are happening before you're going to parties so that you have the awareness, right? Like you're not saying, oh, you turned 16. And by the way, I was making it so rosy by saying you turned 16. (laughs) So now it's a possibility. (laughs) I think in different parts of the country, in different neighborhoods, there are probably different things Mm -hmm. happening, but it sounds like the more information and communication that you have about alcohol, the more informed choice your kids can make. And also they're still teenage brains, so they might know the right choice and not make the right choice. So we have to Mm -hmm. be able to be prepared for them to make the mistakes and be sanctuary so that they can stay safe. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Cause I think that is so important. I also think it's so important for parents to like, you know, come together as communities when kids mess up in whatever way, not just around substances, but they do, they make impulsive, feel good choices. This is because of what is happening physiologically in their brains. And even the most together kid who like, you know, knows the risks and is like, I would never do it. What like we also know from studies looking at brain imaging that when when peers are in the picture, their the activity in their prefrontal cortex will diminish when there's like risk-taking choices being made. And so that just further drives them toward those impulsive feel-good choices, like when they're in that peer group environment. So so kids will mess up. Sometimes there'll be little mistakes. Sometimes there'll be big ones. And we do need to like, 
understand that so that we can be that soft landing for them and, and, you know, trying not to stigmatize other people's kids and blaming the parents for everything. I mean, this is just not, it's not healthy. And so I spend a lot of time talking with parents about teenage brain development so that they can better understand their kids and their kids' friends as well and the choices that they're making because really great kids from really awesome families sometimes mess up and they make, you know, unhealthy choices. And I just, I think it's important to understand that. So that actually is, it's an interesting thing to think about in the context of our communities, because what are some things that we can do as parents to have conversations with the other parents in our kids' community so that we can support Mm -hmm. each other and our kids. Somebody did ask me this morning, what happens when your kids are starting to get invited to parties where you don't even know who the kids are and you don't want to, or they come home with more kids than they left with. And you don't know all those uh-huh. kids. Do you reach out to the right. parents? Are you, uh, are you going to be annoying if you reach out to the parents? My feeling was, what would you want? I want everybody to reach out to me and I want to be able to reach out to them. I don't want to stream. Yeah. I wouldn't want to not know who's going to be there or whatever, but I understand that it feels dorky and it feels <laughs> like right. weird. And- right. Well, I think it depends, you know, it depends on the age of the kids. It depends on the specific community. I think the more that parents can create community with the other parents, the better, but that's not always, you know, that's much easier to do in elementary school than middle school and easier in middle school than high school. Right. And at the same time, as they get older, maybe you don't need to know every single detail constantly. Like there's something to be said, you know, if you're a parent who's having all of these conversations at home about health and safety and risks and being that safe place, like sometimes there's something to be said for letting your kid be in that environment and see how they manage it and how they handle it. Like, I don't think we have to assume that every kid who's in an unsupervised group environment where their substances is going to be like partying their butts off, right? Like that's just not going to be the case for every kid. So you also have to think about your own child. Like, who are their situation? Who are they? Are they super impulsive? Is this someone who's like always been the risk taker their whole life? Right. Are they dealing with mental health issues that, and then maybe they're like going to be more likely to be self-medicated. Do they have a lot of social anxiety? And so maybe they're more likely to drink or do drugs at a party because it's going to help them feel better in that situation, right? There's like so much to think about. So I don't think there's just, you know, I wish it was that easy to just say like, here's what to do. Right. But it's, it's really going to look different in every, in every family and for every teen. So what are some ways to work your way to feeling like, like, what are the party culture wise? What are the, I don't even know if this exists because frankly, my oldest was in pandemic during the early adolescence stuff. Mm-hmm. But as was mine. Right. So <laughs> in some ways, it's been a different training ground. So what's the right. what's a what's a new training ground for the space between supervised hangs and starting mm-hmm. to sort of go with your friends in an Uber somewhere and have a little bit more freedom. Now I'm in New York this summer, so we have a totally different culture here because you don't there's no need to get a ride anywhere. You just 
go out, right. walk out the Just door. Walk. You can yeah. take public transportation starting in fifth grade. Like it's not a, yeah. it's a, in some ways, there's certainly no risk of drunk driving or low risk of drunk driving, but there's lots of access to really whatever you want. Right. Which is going to be different than when we're in California and it's more suburban and you need to get a ride somewhere. So basically, are there steps between Mm -hmm. that shift from kind of play date culture to party culture before it's just like the empty house with no parents? Right. Well, I... I personally, I mean, this is not my medical opinion. This is just, you know, my parenting opinion is, yeah, I think, I think if this happens in like a graded way, so you sort of start with the leash pulled in and then you can let the leash out as they get older and as they prove themselves to be responsible in a variety of situations, right? So like the elementary schoolers, like you're not sending your third grader off to a play date without knowing where they're, whose house they're going to and who's going to be there, right? And so I think now when you're heading into middle school and, and it's like a new mix of families, I think it's very reasonable at the start to really want to know like, whose house are you going to be there? Is, is the parent going to be home? And I, I personally, with my kids, you know, at that age, I, I was reaching out to make sure like, you know, just sending a note to the parent. It, it doesn't have to be like checking in on all, every detail, but just, just like, thanks so much for having my kid over tonight. She's looking forward to it. If anything comes up, you know, and then, and then if it's like, oh, I didn't know she was coming. Right. That would be a different story. Right. Rather right. than, oh, we're so look- we're looking forward to having her. Right. Like, and we're, this is what we're doing. And it's just a nice way to start to like reach out to those other parents and like get to know the parents of your, your kids' friends and get to know the kids too, right? Like have them over in your space. So you get to know who they are. You'll learn a lot about your own child in terms of like what friends they're, they're choosing as well. So I think where people run into issue is when it's always fear-based, right? But yeah. if it's sort of, if you come at it, you know, and let your kid know that you're, you know, you're happy that they're socializing and you're excited to meet their friends and their friends' parents, I think it might be received differently. And then eventually, you know, to me, I think knowing locations is a, is a safety issue. So like having that expectation with your kids as they get into high school and beyond, right. That they're, and they're going to be out and about, like, that's great. You're going, you can still ask those questions. Who's, you know, whose house is the party at? Do you know if they're going to be parents there or not? And then you as a parent make a determination if that changes things for you. Right. Because at the end of the day, like the parents being there, you know, there are lots of parties where the parents are there and they're supplying all sorts of things, right. All the alcohol and everything else. So it's not necessarily that much of a safer environment, depending on who the parent is. Certainly there's an adult on premises that, Mm -hmm. that feels good to some people. So, but I think absolutely like just having that expectation with your kids, like, okay, you're going to this party at so-and-so's house. I just need the address, have like a, you know, like a safe emoji or code word or something so that if they need you to come get them, then you can make some excuse. Like you are just showing up at the party and like, you know, Aunt Bertha is really sick. We have to go. We're having a family emergency and you leave, you know, like 
get you get them out if they need to come out, right? Like so, and and if you're and Bertha, and I don't have an Earth and Bertha, but I just that name always pops in my head. Um, and then if you know if you're you're going to this party or you say you're going to a sleepover at a friend's house, whatever. If you're if you guys decide to go somewhere else, just text me so I know where you're going. Now, of course, there's lots of parents with Life 360, and that's like a whole other other discussion and topic. But at the minimum, having that expectation with your kids that you need to know where they are and in general, sort of, you know, who they're with. And now a word for my sponsor. Before you book any brunch, you look at lists and lists of reviews. So why not do the same if you're looking for a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can find real verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and your neighborhood. Because finding the right doctor is definitely more important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. And ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, which is obviously of the utmost importance, and available when you need them. So you can find every specialist under the sun, whether you're trying to straighten your teeth, fix your back, get a mole checked out, anything. ZocDoc has you covered. And... You can find and review local doctors, read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments, and walk into the doctor's office set to see someone in your network. So go to ZocDoc.com humans and download the ZocDoc app for free, and then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash humans, ZocDoc.com slash humans go to ZocDoc.com slash humans and download the ZocDoc app for free and then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash humans, ZocDoc.com slash humans. I don't have Life360 because I'm a tech disaster mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> I feel like I, I don't even check Google Maps. Like I'm, I'm just- Yeah, yeah. I have, a, a, I have made the decision that at this point, I feel pretty trusting and there hasn't yeah. been a reason to right. monitor in a larger way my daughter's whereabouts. But I, love I that. understand. I wish there were more parents. <laughs> I know. I understand yeah. the the feeling of wanting to. I just... Yes. I, I, I worry that we aren't giving them space to feel like they're being teenagers. And I'd rather care about the really important safety stuff, not the fake safety stuff. Like when people say they have to give their kids a phone because they're going to be walking around by themselves. I'm like, what does that have to do with safety really? Like in New York, right? right? Yes. That happens more often in New York. Oh, they're going to be walking around by themselves. I don't know that I would rather have my child staring at a phone while they're walking the streets of New York City mm-hmm. than actually just kind of walking and paying attention. And there are thousands of adults all around you to say, hey, I'd like to call my mother, my father. Right, or, right. <laughs> but I do, I, I, I think it's interesting that you said that because I'm guessing that you don't feel like everybody needs to be monitoring their kids' whereabouts via technology at all times. Right. 
I, I don't, I think in many ways, this is harmful for our, our kids. And, and there, you know, I've heard so many examples of things where <laughs> parents have sort of eroded trust and gotten themselves in trouble. Like I was just talking to someone recently who has a, had a young adult home from college, college age student who was out with friends and they were going to a club and the mom knew about it, knew where it was and everything. And she got up like in the middle of the night, looked at her phone with Life360, which tells you what time they arrive and when they're leaving places, not just the location. And, and she saw that, you know, it was like five in the morning and her daughter was still, it was showing that she was still in that location. And so she freaked out because she was like, Oh my gosh, did something happen to her? So calls wakes, wakes her up. They had decided to, you know, these are young adults, right? And they had decided to like get a room in the hotel where the, where the bar was and just stay there for the rest of the night. And, and so it, you know, so she got herself into a little bit of trouble there. And, um, (laughs) Yeah. So I just, you know, again, this comes out, it's going to look different in every family. And maybe there's a kid who is super impulsive and hasn't been making the best choices. And so now this is why parents are making that choice. And I understand that. And I, and there's so many, so many valid reasons that people might have, but in general, I, I don't know that that's, you know, it is creating a little bit of a lack of trust in families. And, and I hear a lot of complaints from teenagers that they feel they don't like that their parents are tracking their every move because they know that they're being responsible and it doesn't feel good to them that, that their parents aren't trusting them. So I just, I think it's a worthwhile conversation and something for parents to really think about rather than feeling like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do because I have a teenager. So now I have to get Life360 because that's what all the other parents I'm friends with are doing. Right. Is it really necessary? Meanwhile, I don't understand Snapchat, no matter how many times it's been explained to me. And (laughs) my daughter keeps saying like, let me look where so-and-so is and just looks on it. And I'm like, that is my absolute uh-huh. worst nightmare. I don't know why, but for some reason, it feels like such an invasion. I mean, they're opting into it. So that's right. on them. Okay. So this is an interesting conversation. The snap maps. It's so crazy <laughs> to me. It's so okay. invasive. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone listening who has kids who are just getting onto social media, maybe you just greenlighted Snapchat for them. Just know that the default on the app yeah. is for your location to be known. So, so they literally, my daughter will do this too. She'll pull up her snap map. We were in Indianapolis last yeah. week and she was like, Oh, so-and-so's here. And so-and-so's oh, like, she knew exactly what hotels they were in the whole thing. And I was like, are you still in ghost mode? She's like, yeah, I'm in ghost mode. I'm like, okay. So she's, she's not there, but I did have a conversation with her. I, that where I said, there are certain times where I actually think it might not be the worst thing for you to have your, you know, if you're with a group of friends in a crowded place, that's a great um, then it, then maybe you turn it on, you know, so that you can find each other and they can find you. Right. Like I do think there's, it's just like, find my friends, you know, you can do it that way too. Like I have my family on there. I never look at it, but once in a while, if there's a confusing situation, I like that I'm able to, to find them more, more easily. Yes. So there's a time and place for everything. And those are, those are interesting conversations. And there's so much technology out there that, that people don't even think about or know about. So but what I'm hearing in general is it's different for every family. So these are basic, we're talking about the sort of general picture, but of course, take into account your individual 
family, your values, your kid's temperament. It's going to be different. You might have one kid who was like ready to go off into the world without any monitoring and one kid who needs Mm -hmm. a lot and somewhere in between. So given all of that, I'm trying to think if there was any, there was one other alcohol question and then I want to move on to Mm -hmm. weed and pharmaceutical, counterfeit pharmaceuticals. Okay. But yeah, there are so many, there's just so much to talk about when it comes to like (laughs) real reality of all of this, not just the science there's just a lot of deeper, a lot of consideration. Yeah. Okay. So this was one of the questions that came in that I think, let's see. In New York City, just about, I'm reading directly because it was too okay. complicated. <laughs> in New York <laughs> City, just about every teen party includes vaping, white claw, cocaine, and or vodka. Our child has been to parties where 13-year-olds were stumbling down drunk with the parents having gone to bed upstairs. What do you do about other kids' parents who say, we will supervise, but then go out or go to bed or don't care enough to check on the party downstairs? Well, th- I mean, this is complicated because at the end of the day, you're not, you're not going to be able to control that, yeah. right? So, yeah. so maybe, you, you know, you, they say they will and you send your kid and they ca- that's the story and they come home and they're 13, so you're not comfortable with that. And, and so then the choice is like, you're not going back to that family under those type of circumstances, even if they say they're going to be there. Right. I mean, these are, again, you have to, to make these at the end of the day, you're the parent, right. And so you do need to listen to your gut. You need to listen to like what you, you know, what you are hoping for, for your own child and have conversations with them about it. That's tricky. I mean, try to have it at your house, but I know. And, and I think that the thing that is tricky also is you don't want to be the parent who says, listen, I'm actually, I do trust you. This particular party doesn't sound like a place I trust having nothing to do with you. So I'm, I'm, I'm choosing not to let you go. And I know that's going to put you in a crappy position and I'm really sorry versus trusting your kid, not necessarily trusting the place, but having a plan with your child to have them leave, or maybe it's, go for an hour, but then let's make up an excuse so that you get a little bit of it, but we're not going to turn this into a late night thing where I know those parents are going to be checked That's out. That's right. I don't know. Right. Maybe you're going for the party, but you're not spending the night or, right. Or maybe you figure out who are the other families that also had kids there and don't feel good about it. And so you create some other fun social experience, right. For, for that group of kids, you know, on the night where something is going on that you're not comfortable with. And there's going to be pushback from the teenagers, right? They're, they might not like some of the choices that parents make, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's where it gets that's the hard part. complicated, right? Because yeah, but I also feel like a lot of parents really <laughs> just avoid all conflict with their teenagers and just only want to be their friend. And I think that's wonderful in certain ways, but in other ways that doesn't always end well. And I think our kids, you know, actually feel better when there are some boundaries and guardrails in place. It makes them feel more secure. And if you're coming at it from that aspect of safety and health and love and right, like there's, there's a way, a way to do it. The other question was about when you put away your alcohol, if you are having kids over, what is your view on putting away alcohol? And I know that we have to take into account the individuals or 
you know, the kids coming over or how comfortable everybody is. But in general, do you have a view? Yeah. I mean, I do think, you know, when it's really accessible, the chances are higher if you've got teenagers around that, that someone's going to try some or take some. And, and I think, you know, I feel like within a family, you might feel totally comfortable that your own kids are, you know, you've, you've had it there for years. It's just, you're not worried. It's, my concern is always like, I don't know what friends who are coming over might be struggling with addiction. And I don't want to contribute to that in any way. So I feel better having stuff at least out of sight, you know, like a little bit more, more put away. Now, when it comes to things like, you know, people who have prescription medications and opiates and things like that in the house, that needs to be completely locked away. And same with cannabis, like edibles, that it's very hard for people to tell like what that is. A lot of them look like candy or cookies or, you know, brownies, like way to move into edibles and to, yeah. Yes. Right. And so that is a, that is a very real thing that is going on. Like not, you know, first of all, well, we'll, we'll get into edibles a little bit more, but certainly the accidental ingestion, of course, young, young children, toddlers, you know, like young people, kids getting, thinking it's candy, vets are seeing it in pets, right. Accidental ingestion in the pet. So, so that there's like, it's like guns, right? Like you have to be responsible with the storage and, and absolutely the same for the, for the opiates. But in terms of, you know, if you want to talk about edibles and, and cannabis, you know, that I think there are a few things to think about with cannabis products, you know, and teens, because, you know, number, you know, they're, they're consuming it in different ways. So, so I hear a lot about vaping, vaping weed. And that's, you know, when vaping became sort of somewhat more normalized a few years ago. It's sort of just natural extension of that, that suddenly, you know, now vaping, vaping cannabis became a thing. And it's so accessible in many ways, especially, you know, here in California, where there's no way around it. It's everywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, so that, but the edibles are like a really important conversation to have with with teens because, and adults, frankly, because there's been plenty of adults who smoked weed when they were teens and then suddenly cannabis is legal and they're like, oh, let me go to the dispensary. This is so fun. Let me check it out. Right. And they, they get the gummies and then they take a gummy and nothing happens. And, and they then they take another it. gummy and nothing happens and they take a third gummy and now they're having like a psychotic break. So, um, <laughs> you know, or they're, they're, you know, anxious or feeling very anxious or panicked or sometimes they're even hallucinating or they're aphasic, they're having trouble speaking, like uh, all sorts of things. And so, and now they're ending up on an ambulance, right? Being carted off for their, for their cannabis. So what people need to know, especially if they're used to inhaling, when you inhale THC, it, you know, our lungs are lined with little blood vessels. And so rapidly that THC, which is that psychoactive component of the cannabis plant that makes you high, it rapidly gets absorbed and rapidly goes to your brain. So the effect is, is almost immediate. Whereas with edibles, you have to like, it takes time because it has to be digested in your stomach and then it makes its way to your intestines and then it gets absorbed and then it has to eventually get up to your brain. It takes much longer. So it can take more like an hour for you to feel the effects versus, you know, within seconds and minutes with if you're inhaling it. Um, so, so that's a very important distinction. And the other important conversation, I think, especially for parents to understand, particularly the parents who feel like they 
they smoked weed when they were teenagers and they turned out fine. So it's not such a big deal is that it's not really an apples to apples comparison when you're looking at what's available right now because of the way the cannabis plants are being cultivated and there's genetic plant selection. And so there's a higher, it's much more important than they're saying. It's like four to five times more potent than what was around when we were teenagers. And then depending on the different formulations, there are some that are even, again, another three to five times more potent than what's just naturally in today's plant. So we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be of like young brains who are using these products regularly, starting at a young age and over time, right, when they're so much more potent than they were in the past. So that's, I think that's really critical for parents to think about. And those are important conversations to have, you know, with teens and, and, you know, it can affect your, your learning and your cognition and right, your coordination, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't drive if you're high, like there are teens who would never drink and drive, but they will, oh my God, um, they'll drive. Yeah, totally. It's like, and adults too. In LA, I'm like, how many people are driving high right now? Right, right. But none of them will drive drunk and you're, you're absolutely Right. right. There's a stigma around driving drunk that for some reason doesn't exist in this, in the same way, but it can impair your coordination. It can impair your judgment. So like, you know, I think that's the other message for kids. Like it's not just alcohol, like don't get in the car with someone who's used any substance that is like altering their mental status. Like it's just not a safe choice to make. I want so much to have the energy to be the transportation, to like be the chauffeur to everybody because it's like, that would just solve so many problems. (laughs) But I also realistically know that I get so tired. I know. Well, I feel the same way. I feel that I was always a transportation when they were in elementary school and middle school because I loved like the conversations, but as they get older, right? And they start driving themselves. And I mean, I do feel... I feel grateful that we have these rideshare services now. And I definitely think that that, you know, keeps people safe in many ways. On the other flip side of that is like people, there's no one's the designated driver ever, right? Like where they they rein it in for that reason. But if I had to pick, I'd rather have some, you know, safe safe ride options and, uh, you know. I like it when kids ride together, not alone late at night, but you know, that's just me. Oh, I don't <laughs> think that's safety aspect. I feel yeah. like that seems like a reasonable yes. safetyness. So this is where I think there's that ranking kind of thing because there are certain substances that will eventually be legal for them to use. Nicotine, alcohol, cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so what's the conversation that you have to distinguish between legal use when it's like, doesn't mean you want them to use it, but just it's not Mm -hmm. illegal to use when your brain is developed and it's, you're an adult, you're making these decisions versus illegal substances or substances that you're using in a way that was, that they were not meant for, for example, pharmaceuticals. How's that conversation going? Yeah. So I think that is, again, this is where you get into that tricky area because you're trying to send them, you're, you're explaining the risks and why you're concerned about each of them. But right, even though as much as I despise nicotine and vaping, like that is not the same as heroin to me, right? And so we can't like 
equate those exactly. So um, I think the answer is, first of all, to be open, to be curious, like find out from your kids, like what are they encountering? What are their peers encountering? You can talk about the friends if you don't want to talk about your own child specifically. Sometimes that's safer. So sort of understand what you're dealing with ask questions about like, oh, I've heard about kids sharing Adderall or I've heard about, um, you know, what do you know about fentanyl? I know we're getting to that, you know, like, like sort of see, see where, where you are to me, like, people love to ask me, I've always for like years, people are like, okay, if you had to choose your kid doing alcohol or weed, which would it be? And I'm like, I hate that question because I truly don't want either for so many reasons. Right. And so there are things about alcohol that make it more dangerous because you really can die from, you know, excessive amounts of alcohol, which is not so likely from weed as long as it's untainted with other things. Right. And so So there's that piece of it, but then there's also the piece of like the research on teen brains and, and THC and what that can do long-term and, you know, unmasking, you know, psychosis and people with genetic predispositions to schizophrenia and like the association with anxiety and depression and cannabis use, like there's, there's all these other pieces that make me very uncomfortable about that. So I can't give like, I'm not going to give a ranking of, of these different things. But I think at the end of the day, one thing that's really important to talk about is, you know, where are these substances coming from? Right. Who, who, where are you getting them? You know, if it's a prescription medication, if it was prescribed for you and your name's on the bottle and you got it from a legitimate pharmacy, then you should only be taking it the way it's prescribed and you should not be sharing it with other people. And if it's your friend's prescription that, you know, it's not for you, it's not made for your body. Right. And so that should be okay. But what's most concerning to me right now is, is there, I'm hearing from teens about who are getting, getting substances from Snapchat dealers and various, you know, through social media. And so they are getting substances from dealers, right? That, and, and the terrifying part to me is that sometimes they, it's like a dealer that's known in an area. One was just busted here in LA who was supplying to all these, you know, high school kids locally. And, and they feel like they can trust that person because they're supplying it to so many of their friends. And so that to me is a critical conversation to have with kids. I know there's so much more to talk about. I had to turn this into two episodes because we just wanted to go really deep into the practical conversations. So I'm going to continue this next week on Raising Good Humans podcast. Take a deep breath and we'll get into the rest of this next week.